This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Nike is a pretty big deal around here. It's one of the largest local employers, and brand-wise, it's turned our area into the sneaker capital of the world. But as of late, the company has been having a rough time. Their shoes have been losing market share, they're facing discrimination lawsuits from ex-employees, and late last year, they announced a restructuring that could slash more than a thousand jobs. So today on CityCast Portland, we're talking with Oregonian business reporter Matthew Kish, who's been following the troubles over at Nike. He's sharing how all of this will affect us here in Portland and whether Michael Jordan will be okay. Just kidding, he'll be fine. It's Thursday, January 18th. I'm Claudia Meza, and this is what Portland's talking about. We're hearing so many different things that's going on. Like Nike just made a big announcement last month that they're about to cut a lot of jobs. But we've also just been hearing about their the shininess of their star dimming. Let's just put it that way. Do we know how many people are about to lose their jobs? We don't. So in late December, the company said it was going to cut $2 billion in costs over the next three years. It said in the quarter that ends at the end of February... It's going to incur as much as $450 million in restructuring charges, with most of that being severance payments. Best context we have for that number, 2020, the company laid off 700 workers and incurred about $250 million in termination costs. So we're looking at a significant number of layoffs in the next two months. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the reason this is kind of important to all of us is because uh, Nike is a huge employer in the Portland area. So do you happen to know how many people that would affect in Portland? We don't. We know that Nike employs more than 11,000 locally. Mm-hmm. It's north of 700, which judging by the 2020 layoffs seems likely. Uh, it's a significant number of jobs. Uh, Nike is the fourth largest employer in the metro area mm-hmm. behind Providence, Intel and OHSU. Uh, and it pays pretty well. The best number I have for that's from 2004, an economic impact study. But the average Nike job paid 60% more than the average local job. So these jobs support a number of other services, and Nike works with a number of vendors. So it will be a hit to the local economy. Yeah, I heard, um, well, through your articles, that the reason they're doing this is because they need to save um, like $2 billion. And they're thinking this is going to happen within the next handful of years. And just in the severance costs alone, they're going to be saving $450 million. And my question to you is, how are they going to find $2 billion in, in cost savings? How are they eventually going to do that? That's so much money. It's a lot. And there hasn't been a lot of detail shared about how you get to $2 billion. To put that in context, Nike has about $50 billion in annual sales. $2 billion is 4% of that number. So you're looking at a number of areas where Nike's going to have to reduce uh, costs. You know, one analyst told me what we're probably looking at is just a smaller, simpler organization, smaller, simpler company. Um, Nike has said that they're going to kind of cut non-performing areas of the company and invest in areas that are growing. 
such as the women's category, the Jordan brand, uh, in, invest in innovation. But we haven't seen a lot of those details uh, announced yet. Gotcha. Yeah. So if they're making over $50 billion in sales, roughly, it's not like they're going under, right? So why are they having such a hard time right now? Absolutely not going under. So this <laughs> definitely, this is a company in a slump. It's still the largest company by far in sportswear. So a lot of people think of Nike and Adidas as equals. Uh, Nike is about two times the size of Adidas right now. It has $8 billion in cash and equivalents on its balance sheet. So it's a very strong company still. Uh, but it is one that has sales that are slowing in June of last year, Nike told Wall Street its sales for its fiscal year, which started in June of last year, would grow in the mid-single digits. In December, they actually said it's going to be closer to 1%. Mid-single digits would have been a $2.5 billion increase in sales. 1% is a $500 million increase in sales. So you're looking at $2 billion less in sales this year, hence the need to cut some costs and kind of rethink how the company's doing business. Yeah, and it's always the workers. It's never like, hey, let's look at our process. Um, <laughs> I mean, so can we just break down a little bit as to why Nike is is hitting that slump? If you had 10 different people on this show, you would get 10 different answers to this question. Right. But you'd hear some common themes. So one okay. of the themes would be that the global economy is slowing down and that Nike has said, you know, there's more cautious consumer behavior. Some Wall Street analysts think that. They think that what's happening at Nike is more a symptom of the macro economy than a symbol of deceleration at the brand. There are other people that point to this direct sales strategy. So in 2017, Nike said it was going to try to sell products more directly to consumers through its own stores, its website, its mobile apps. Historically, Nike sold most of its products at the shopping mall, department stores, sporting goods stores. That strategy was a success uh, to a certain extent, but it also left a lot of shelf space open at the mall, at the running store, at the department store. That shelf space has been uh, eagerly filled by some upstart brands like Hoka and On that are now doing extremely well. Mm -hmm. People will also point to lack of innovation at Nike. So innovation has been core to the company since Phil Knight sold the first running shoes out of the back of his Plymouth Valiant. Some people suggest that innovation has slowed at Nike. Uh, Nike itself, its senior leaders have said they're trying to increase innovation. Um, so those are kind of the themes that you would hear. Um, which is the most, you know, to blame for the deceleration in sales? Uh, I don't know that anyone has the the final answer on that. When I hear lack of innovation at Nike, it's hard for me to understand because they're not making planes, they're making shoes. Is that what you mean? Like they're just not coming up with like fancy new shoes or, or better clothing? What exactly are they looking to innovate? Yeah. So if you look at Hoka and On are the two examples that come up the most. So these are kind of relatively new styles, relatively new brands. Hoka sales increased 27% in its most recent quarter. On sales increased 46% in its recent quarter. Compare that to Nike, which increased 1%. So there are consumers that kind of want something new at a time when Nike has relied to a great extent on its kind of legacy products like Air Jordans and silhouettes that you've seen for decades. Mm. So part of what Nike's doing now is trying to come up with the next big thing. Gotcha. I love it. Like, how about a shoe? Um, well, 
this may have nothing to do with what we're talking about, but Nike has also been facing discrimination lawsuits from ex-employees. And what impact, if any, is that having on the company? I don't know that I can answer that question right now, but just to remind listeners, in, in 2018, there was a series of explosive reports about a perceived boys' club culture at the company. Nike's changed a number of things since then. Some executives, some managers have left. They've changed HR policies. They've changed compensation policies. They're a more inclusive company in terms of race and gender. Um, but the story isn't over. The most sweeping lawsuit filed in 2018 over uh, gender discrimination seeks class action status. That lawsuit is still inching through the court system. Um, plaintiff's attorneys recently took deposition testimony of a new witness uh, that they think can revive the effort to make that lawsuit a class action. Oh, wow. There was a recent lawsuit filed uh, by a former finance manager who alleged gender and discriminatory practices by existing Nike executives. Um, so that's a recent lawsuit. The Oregonians also among a, a group of media organizations seeking to get more documents unsealed from the class action lawsuit, uh, arguing for the public interest in those records. Um, so the story continues. We continue to report on it um, and we'll see what happens next. Yeah, I feel like even if it's not a financial hit, it's going to be a big brand hit if it comes out that Nike isn't as equitable as their as their awesome commercials, <laughs> you know, um, paint them to be. Yeah, more reporting to do. So still an active story. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, let's take a quick break here. And when we return, is Nike still a top choice for runners? This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Sax.com. So, you know, you just mentioned... Uh, brands like Hoka and, and other uh, upstarts taking over some of this market share. Is there anyone in, in a position to like actually challenge Nike's dominance? Because yeah, there might be some, you know, people coming for the king, but are they really going to take its head, you know? Yeah. So just some numbers for context. It's most recent quarter, Nike had $13 billion in sales. On had $540 million. Hoka had 420 million. So these are much smaller companies, but they have momentum. They're picking up consumers a lot faster than Nike right now in a category running, which is not only Nike's legacy category, but its right. biggest product category. So if those companies can capitalize on that momentum and expand into apparel and continue to expand their product line, they will continue to take market share from Nike. One notable thing I'd point out is Nike executives tend to be pretty bullish when they talk about the company. And really in the last couple quarters, they have started to acknowledge that it has become a lot more competitive for them, especially in running. The CEO of the company called running a competitive battlefield in June of last year. So that language we haven't heard in a while from Nike executives, uh, and they seem eager to respond to the new competition. Yeah. You know, a um, handful of years ago, I started running 5Ks and, you know, just looking into the blogs and, you know, the websites and stuff for, for just leads on like clothing and stuff. 
<laughs> blogs. I'm like a '90s, like a '90s cook. <laughs> I, I just remember there being a lot of like, oh, get some Brooks, get this, get that. There was never like Nike wasn't really uh, prevalent in those conversations. You know what I'm saying? And I can't imagine that the Nike people don't, you know, kind of trawl for this information <laughs> through, you know, just in the zeitgeist. They must have known it, it was coming, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. There's no way this could have come as a surprise to Nike. Yeah, no, part of the, the focus over the past few years has been direct sales. So it's been pulling away from those running specialty stores that are so important to developing relationships with runners. So in the fall, I visited some local running stores in Portland just to see how well Nikes were selling. And I was quite surprised that at a couple running stores, there were no Nikes at all, all right. uh, because Nike had eliminated those relationships as part of its direct-to-consumer push and opened opportunities for brands like Hoka, On, and Brooks. Brooks, we haven't talked about, but it considers itself the number one you know, everyday running brand in the country. So that, that has been a, a shift that has happened in the past couple of years. Yeah, but what they were talking about in these blogs, Matt, uh, wasn't so much the availability of these shoes, but also just quality. Like they didn't think that Nike uh, was making shoes that were good for running anymore. And I just thought that was odd. And I wonder if it's because it's something that was self-perpetuating, like, oh, I'm not seeing these at these like fancy mm -hmm. running shoes, so they must not be good anymore. Or if it's coming from experience, you know. This is a little hypothetical, but it's some, again, you know, as a reader of blogs, I'm just curious. The blogs that you're reading <laughs> overlap with source conversations I've had as well. I spoke with the buyer of a local running store in the fall who pointed to one product in Nike's running catalog and said, you know, that product could slot back on our wall, the Pegasus, but there wasn't a lot else for everyday runners, people that run 5Ks and 10Ks. That that opinion is not just one that exists on the blogs. It exists in the in the running community as well. Um, Nike has specifically said in recent calls that the everyday runner, people who do 5Ks and 10Ks, it wants to develop more products for them. It has pointed to a couple products that it thinks can fit the bill, but we'll see. Yeah. So what do you think happens next? Hard to predict future, but two things I feel comfortable saying. Layoffs are going to happen at some point in the next two months. By the end of February, we expect Nike will execute this round of layoffs. Nike's turnaround plan is also going to start uh, to take shape. So they've said they want to streamline and simplify the company. They want to invest in innovation, the women's category, Jordan and running. But it's going to take time for that to play out. It takes about 18 months to get a new sneaker onto the wall at a store. You have to design it. You have to develop it. You have to order it from Southeast Asia. You have to ship it across an ocean. CEO John Donahoe has talked about this as the start of a multi-year product innovation cycle. Um, it's going to take time for this to play out. Um, Nike has seemingly addressed, you know, what we're seeing in the marketplace, which is people shifting to other brands. So we'll see um, whether they uh, get traction with those efforts. Do you think that any of this is going to affect Nike's status like as a cultural icon in the Pacific Northwest? Nike is still by far the biggest company based in the state. Um, it's our only company in the Fortune 100 um, it still tops this uh, regular survey by the investment bank, Piper Sandler, about what, what's the top brand with teenagers. Uh, so yeah, there's some weak points with the company right now. It's in a slump in some way. Uh, it's still the biggest player in the industry. It still has $8 billion in cash on its balance sheet and a lot of really smart people trying to right the ship. 
Um, we'll see how that plays out. I, I would note that Wall Street, as of right now, the jury's out a little bit. So if you look at how analysts rate the stock and kind of what Nike has said, uh, 17 analysts have a hold on the stock, meaning kind of let's wait and see. 19 have a buy rating on the stock, but th that's quite a few analysts saying, let's just see what happens next. Yeah. Well, before we wrap up, um, I know you've done a lot of reporting on this, but uh, have you talked with Ben Affleck, uh, who played Phil Knight in the movie Air? Like, what does he think about all this? I have not spoken with Ben Affleck. I did have the privilege of seeing the movie with a theater filled with people who have worked for Nike uh, last year when the movie came out. It was a big thrill. Were they happy with it? Um, broad strokes, they thought it did kind of reflect the kind of underdog story that, you know, Nike was an underdog at that point. There were a lot of factual uh, inconsistencies that people struggled mm. with, with some of the characters. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Matt. I appreciate you taking the time to break this down for us. I know that there's still a lot more coming and basically you're still reporting on it. So we'd love to have you back. If anything big changes, please let us know. Thanks, Claudia. And also just like, let us know once you do get Ben on the horn. I will. Thank you. I will. Thank you. Before I jump into some events, I wanted to ask if you had any dilemmas you'd like our opinion on for an advice-style episode we're putting together. It can be about anything, really, city-related or not. Hit us up at portlandatcitycast.fm or leave us a voicemail at 503-208-5448. And now for some events coming up this weekend. Fuyu Fest, a winter-themed sake and culture festival, is happening on Saturday from 2 to 5 p.m. at the Olympic Mills Commerce Center near the Southeast Waterfront. They'll have over 80 craft Japanese sakes to taste along with food and local artisan wares. 10% of ticket sales is getting donated to Ishikawa Sake Brewery for recovery efforts following the Noto earthquake, which is pretty cool. There's also a gluten-free barbecue pop-up that's happening now through Sunday at Groundbreaker Brewing, also in Southeast Portland, that's put on by Tiger Pit for all the GF folks missing barbecue sauces. And if you're looking for a little in-town getaway, come on up to the St. John's Winter Beer Festival at Stormbreaker Brewing happening on Friday and Saturday. There will be tastings from some of Oregon's top breweries and cideries. And you can also pick up some amazing gluten-free chicken wings and other delicious gluten-free dishes over at Mosaic Tap House, just walking distance from Stormbreaker. And if you're looking for indoor activities for the kids this weekend, the Oregon Symphony is screening Toy Story and playing the film score live. This is a pretty popular event, so grabbing tickets beforehand is highly recommended. For even more events and local news, sign up for our daily newsletter, Hey Portland. We'll throw a link in the show notes. Well, that's all for today here on CityCast Portland. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more from around the city. Until then, see you at Slim's. <laughs>